I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Sinister Sightings 219. All right, jumping right in. Hey, Donna and Carrie, this is my first time writing in. First off, I just want to say I love the pod and love you funny gals. I have a short paranormal story I think you ladies would be interested in. As just a bit of a backstory, I have two sons. My oldest is three, who we'll call Stink. Stink was originally supposed to have a twin, who I miscarried early on. And my youngest is one, who we'll call Squeak. Stink's twin likes to make appearances occasionally when I'm home alone and the boys aren't home. I'll be cleaning or doing something around the house, and all of a sudden, I'll feel something tap my leg or whisper, Mommy. I like to think it's him coming to let me know he's still here, and I feel a sense of comfort every time he's around. This isn't necessarily scary, just interesting. Thanks for reading. You can use my name, April. Well, we are so sorry for your loss. I love that they come back to see you, though. Yes, and thank you for sharing that story. Okay, the next one. Hello, my favorite podcast host. My name is Helena, and I'm from Arizona. Obviously, I have to tell you how much I love your podcast. I listen to you guys on my drive into work and when I'm leaving work to keep me awake on the drive home. I work at a hospital as a night shift nurse. This story is a true crime case that happened in my hometown of Tucson, Arizona. It's the unfortunate murder of Dr. David Stidham, a pediatric ophthalmologist that occurred on October 5th, 2004. Dr. Stidham was a beloved doctor in the community and was actually my younger brother's doctor who performed his eye surgery days prior to his murder. He was also a friend of my mother's as she was another doctor in the community. Some backstory. Dr. Stidham was hired by Dr. Bradley Schwartz, another pediatric ophthalmologist, to work in his office while Dr. Schwartz was on leave for a year in 2002. He was on leave because he was found abusing prescription drugs by prescribing them for his patients, but using the drugs himself. His medical license was suspended. He supposedly had to attend rehab, but rumor in the doctor community is that he never did or at least did not go the full year. When Dr. Schwartz returned to his practice, Dr. Stenham left and created his own practice, where many of the patients he was seeing previously followed him to his new practice. In Schwartz's eyes, Stenham had stolen the patients from him and decided to make the decision to hire a hitman to kill Dr. Stenham. When he was leaving his office on October 5th, 2004, he was stabbed 16 times and his skull was bashed in. His body was discovered by a cleaning crew the next morning. After the murder occurred, the hitman, Ronald Bruce Bigger, who goes by Bruce, joined Dr. Schwartz and his date, letting him know that the murder was done. Schwartz then paid for a hotel room for Bruce using his own credit card like a dummy. This obviously left the entire community distraught, including my parents and especially my mother. She was actually interviewed by one of the local news channels to talk about Dr. Stidham, and she said that she could barely get the words out. To this day, she has trouble talking about it, and it brings tears to her eyes thinking about it. I got a lot of this information from my dad, who was another doctor in the community, and looking through news articles. After the news had been released, my parents just knew it had to be Dr. Schwartz. It was no secret in the community that Schwartz truly believed Dr. Stidham had stolen his patients. On October 15th, both Schwartz and Bruce were arrested and charged with the murder of Dr. Stidham. Both stated that they were innocent. They were both found guilty, however, and on May 26, 2007, Schwartz was sentenced to a life in prison with the possibility of parole in 25 years, so 2029, and Bruce was found guilty on May 16, 2007, charged with conspiracy to commit first-degree murder and first-degree murder, 
And he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. What makes his story even messier was that during the trial, it was discovered that Lourdes Lopez, who was a former prosecutor and resigned after being indicted in federal court due to her involvement in Schwartz's drug problem and then became deputy attorney, knew of the murder plan all along. She was interviewed during the trials. I definitely know there's more sketchy details surrounding the case and the concealment of crucial information by some of those who work in the court system, but I haven't been able to find more. Carrie, I would love to see you cover this case as with your mad detective skills, I'm sure you could find even more than I could. I know there's definitely a Forensic Files episode on it, but I'm too lazy at the moment to watch it. I'll soon be sending in a couple of paranormal stories about the hospital I work at, which I know are Carrie's favorite. Sorry, Donna, I seem to be favoring Carrie a lot in this story, but I promise I love you too. So be on the lookout for those. Love y'all, XOXO, Helena. Why are people so messy when they, like, reap what they sow? Uh Uh-huh. I'm not judging him for having an issue with drugs. And I like that he was given a second chance. Like, he didn't just lose his license and all of that. Like, okay, go to rehab, work this out. But patients are going to lose trust in you. It's, It's going to happen. And then when you bring in another physician to keep your practice running, and they've lost trust in you, and then like that physician, they're gonna follow him. Yeah. So... Why don't you try to build your practice back up, not fucking murder him? It's not his fault. Right. You chose him because he was good. You chose him to run your practice because you're like, he's going to do a great job and not run it into the ground like I was about to. Mm-hmm. And then fuck that prosecutor for being involved in that. Oh my gosh. That is messy, y'all. That is messy. It's okay to love me more than Donna right now. It's fun. Uh-huh. Everybody loves Donna. <laughs> Give me this moment, Donna. <laughs> Says the person who's married. I'm talking about the people who listen. They love you more. It's fine. <laughs> they don't. I, I accept the role <laughs> of being the actual talent. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, I'm working on Pop-Tarts and Dr. Pepper. Okay, the next one. College Ouija board story. Hi, ladies. Ever since I discovered Sinister Sightings, I've been meaning to send this story in. This is a story about how me and my friends, freshman year of college, bought a Ouija board to use on our very old college campus that we had heard was haunted. I've always liked creepy shit, so I was down to use it and see what would happen or if it would actually work. Day one, two or three of us brought it outside this one supposed haunted building and started using it. We started asking random shit to make sure it was going to talk to us. Shit that's not important, so I don't remember. A few minutes into the session, this random guy walked out of the building and asked us if we were using a Ouija board and what we were doing with it. He was naturally skeptical, so we told him, nah, this shit works. Try asking it something. Keep in mind, this was a month or so into school and I was a freshman, so I've never seen this guy before. None of us in the group had. Without his hands on the planchette, he asked out loud, what's my name? I shit you not, this board started spelling out his name underneath me and my friend's hands. May I add, this guy did not have a generic name like Jake or Bob. He had a long, way less common name that we could not have even guessed. I think it was something uncommon like Morton. He then asks, what's my major? And no lie, this thing starts spelling out marketing. This random guy confirmed that it was right. Morton the marketer? Isn't that like a uh, adult swim? Oh. (laughs) I was going to say, isn't that like an adult swim thing? But it's um, what you just said. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. (laughs) On top of these really specific answers, it knew his age and where he was from. All the while, the people who were on the board knew nothing about him, and he had not touched the board once. After this, we never saw this guy again. It was mind-blowing to me how it knew all of these things about this guy I had never seen before. 
A lot of people like to say it's your subconscious making the board spell stuff out, but how could we have known all of this about him? Of course, we still continued to use it. For a while, it would say things like the name Momo and say we're talking to Momo. The names Momo and Morton seemed a little too close to me, almost like a nickname. It could be a coincidence, but it's creepy. Nothing bad ever came of using it. It was just creepy while we used it. I still have the board and refuse to use it, but I'm scared to throw it away. I hope this story was at least entertaining for y'all and shows some Ouija boards are definitely no joke. Thanks. So, isn't Momo that face thing? Yes. But that's like a... That's a fake thing. Yeah, but that's like the, like Slenderman. Like though. Slenderman, yeah. But like a... What is that called? A tulpa. That. Thanks for words. Uh-huh. But Momo... Ooh. ooh. That's, Momo is creepy. Yes. So, do you think that the guy, M- Morton, here's a who, do you think that he was a ghost? That's what I was thinking. I don't fuck with a Ouija board. Y'all got to stop fucking with these Ouija boards. Stop fucking with the Ouija board and fuck with me. I have nothing to say to that. <laughs> I need D in my life. Dick or a demon, I guess. Oh, don't you say that out loud. <laughs> oh my God. Why would you put that into the universe? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Demons out there don't want you, but uh, Dick out there, yes, please. Okay, the next one. Another sighting, not all sinister. Hey y'all, I did pre-writing of this on notes on my phone, so I'd imagine this is going to be lengthy and all over the map. To start off, please just call me T. There's a little nugget at the end of this that I know my family would not be happy about me sharing, so instead of my normal fuck it attitude, I'm gonna try to honor it. Okay, so here we go. Quick backstory. Growing up, I had a less than idyllic childhood, but I had a grandmother that was my person. I didn't know my biological father until I was 17, but she always talked fondly of him. Recollection number one. I was probably eight or nine at the time. We lived in an apartment in Maryland that was on the ground floor. It was me, my biological mother, and my two half-sisters. My stepfather was in prison for a DUI, so there was a lot of unrest in our lives. One night, I was looking out the window of my room. I was a weirdo and was listening to a Shirley Temple record. (laughs) I believe Good Ship Lollipop as I played on the windowsill because I felt like something was watching me. I glared out into the space behind our apartment. It was wooded and spooky as fuck during the day when all of a sudden I saw two red dots. Me being curious, stared at them for who knows why. These dots stayed there and it felt like they were peering back at me for quite a while. Fast forward to being a teenager, I learned about the many legends of the woods and was told about a being that lived in the woods and had red eyes. Let's just say at night all my blondes are drawn and I don't go peeping out into the abyss for fun. Also, I recall exploring that area a couple of years later and came upon a structure that looked like it could have been a place for someone or something to use as its home. Recollection number two. Aged three or four, we were living in a house I feel like with other family members. I would never go past the top of the stairs. Like legit, I would sleep curled up on the top landing of the house because the man in the bathroom is scary. I remember saying this like it was yesterday. Still to this day, I'm 44 and the image of a black figure sitting on the toilet, yes, a fucking toilet, I cannot explain it, but my baby self was like, no thank you, sir. Recollection number three. This one is fun and I love this story. Not truly paranormal, but a great memory. My grandma and I were frying up some bass. I know for a fact I was eight because my birthday, I got a she-raw cake. As she was turning on the stove, she turned to me and said, I'm a witch. Then made a gesture with her hand and blew towards the burner. 
Magically, the burner flames appeared and my eyes got wide with bewilderment. We won't discuss the fact that it was a gas stovetop. My grandma was a witch in my eyes from then on. Recollection number four. This is both my story and my bio mom's story. When I was 15, just about to turn 16, I moved back in with my bio mom after my stepdad got to be too much. He was an abusive asshole from the time he got with my mom. At this time, my mom had somehow made her way to the eastern shore of Virginia. The house she moved into had some entities. Here are a couple of stories. Mom's story. She was moving into this house. My uncle was helping her clean it up before they moved in. She was in the kitchen scrubbing the oven when a male's voice asked her where the wrench was. Thinking it was my uncle, she mumbled something to him and kept cleaning the oven. A bit later, my uncle came in to get a drink and she asked him if he had found the wrench. She looked at him and said, what are you talking about? I haven't come in till just now. She told me later that there were other things she noticed, but honestly, that's the only story I recall. My story. My room in this house was always cold, like middle of summer refrigerator room, and the house only had window units. And I always had a feeling that others were in the room, but nothing negative. On my 16th birthday, my sisters came to visit me. My birthday is in December. We were in the dining room decorating sugar cookies with the doors closed to this room to keep the heat from the oven in this room and keep us warm. For whatever reason, I needed to go get something out of my room and went into the living room where both my mom's room and my room were connected. Her bedroom door was open, and this is normal. And in the doorway, I see an apparition of a lady with a high bun, like think Victorian era, with a high-collared ruffled neckline dress. I stand still just inside the closed door and watch her. She looks toward me and places her fingers up to her lips to say, shh and then turns and disappears into my mom's room toward the space she was using as a closet. I immediately run to the doorway to see if I can see anything, but there wasn't anyone or anything there. I went back into the dining room, got my sister, told her what I saw, and asked her to go into the room with me. Yeah, I know what the hell is wrong with me. And begrudgingly, she went. I'm the oldest, so, you know, they listened. With her behind me, I went in, found the lamp, turned it on, and investigated. Never did find anything, and I was left alone in this house a lot. Never really felt scared, though. I chalk her up just as an entity passing through and wasn't trying to scare me. Recollection number five. In my 20s, let's be honest, until my mid-30s, I dated dudes that felt the need to either cheat on me or use me. Thankfully, I broke that cycle. Determination is a bitch. Anywho, I had a tuxedo cat I adopted and I named him Dude. Yes, from Dude, Where's My Car? Dude was my buddy. He helped me emotionally after I left the guy I was living with and dated for like four years who thought the 18-year-old girl across the street had more to offer. Anyway, Dude and I settled into apartment life together and was enjoying it. Cue another loser. Since I found myself hanging out at his place more often, I brought my sidekick with me. After a few months, I was leaving to go to work when he must have gotten out and I didn't see it. Well, I get a call from him while I was at work telling me he found Dude squished by what he gathered to be a dump truck. I was devastated. My heart was aching and I was sad. This caused me to look at my situation and realize it was not a good fit. So I packed my little bit of belongings, including the litter box, and left that relationship. On the way back to the apartment, I called my ex. Dude came into my life when I was with him, so I felt the need to tell him. I get to my now really empty feeling apartment and just lay on the bed and cry. Cry for the loss of my cat, for the loss of another relationship, and for the frustration of having a difficult life. As I was crying, I look over to the towel that was on the bed. I had laid it there in hopes for his hair to be contained while he cuddled on the bed. 
and I see on the blanket impressions of what looked like a cat to be walking across the bed. Not only did I bawl harder, I was comforted knowing that he was always with me, and out loud, I told him I love him, and I'm sorry for allowing him to be taken. For months after, I would see him out of the corner of my eye running down the hallway, and it always made me smile. Then, one day he was gone, and then a new little dude came into my life and moved all over the country with me. Recollection number six, final one, semi-promise. Okay, in 2011, my favorite person on this marble passed away. This is a story of her passing and my responses. A little bit to add is we had a strong connection. If I thought about her or talked about her, she'd call me. She was my heart and I am blessed that she was my grandma. On August 1st, 2011, I woke up to a slurry of text messages and voicemails. My phone is on do not disturb while I sleep and I know y'all feel me on this. But all of them were from my mom. Because she and I aren't necessarily on speaking terms, I go to take a shower and get ready for work. I then open up Facebook and see what she had posted. My grandma, the matriarch of our dysfunctional family, was gone. So I immediately call her back and through tears she tells me that my grandma died in a drunk driving accident. Now, my grandma didn't drive. She was on a bunch of meds for neuropathy and she didn't want to cause an accident. She and my grandfather's second wife and child went to play bingo. It's a long story, but they lived with her after their family took all the money and left them with nothing. And so they had asked a friend or a neighbor to pick them up and take them home. My mom didn't tell me much of the details other than it was a car accident. For five days straight after, I had recurring images in my head. I was in the passenger seat of a red vehicle when all of a sudden my vision went black. Her memorial service was a week later. I still didn't have much info on the events yet. As my flight into Norfolk, Virginia was on descent, I had dozed off, but was abruptly awoken by my name being called, like first and middle. I immediately sat up, looked out the window, and we were directly over the area she had lived in. Later, I learned the car he was driving was red. He hit head-on, but mostly on the passenger side, a large tree stump. The car flipped four or five times, and my grandma's neck snapped instantly. I'm comforted knowing that she didn't suffer, but boy, to say my anger towards him was deep isn't enough. He also perished, and my grandfather's wife and daughter survived. They only suffered bumps and bruises, but a bright light in my world was extinguished that day. The following week, she visited me in my dreams and showed me her new townhouse and all of her angel tchotchkes she had lined up. I still think of her every day, and when I find a random dime, I know it's her. I had a session with a clairvoyant, and during the session, his voice legitimately changed into my grandma's. Okay, not sorry for the book, but the nugget I will leave you with is my paternal grandfather, whom I never met, was the kid the exorcist was written about. I'm currently doing research into him. My father calls him the asshole, so I don't have much to go on. But if I find anything interesting, I'll share. Thank you, ladies, for all you share and allowing us to have an outlet. Creep on, creeping on. Oh, crap. I realized I forgot my Ouija board stories. Oh, well, that's for another time. So wait, your paternal grandfather is Roland Doe? I need to know. Not you just knowing that name off the tip of your tongue like that. Because I covered it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm very sorry for the loss of your grandmother. And I want to play bingo with her. She got a new condo up there? Mm-hmm. But you know I do not like clutter. No, yeah, you don't, you're not into tchotchkes. Mm-mm, I couldn't hardly say the word. <laughs>
Okay, but you left us on the nugget cliffhanger, but also the Ouija board story. So send them in, girl. Send them in. Okay, the next one. Sinister sightings still creeps me out to this day. Hey, ladies. I just got to say I love, love, absolutely love listening to y'all. Shout out to East Strasburg, PA. Whoop. If I'm having a shitty day at work, your podcast spruces me right up. So there was a time where my two kids and my ex-husband were homeless. My boss at the time had a vacant house that we could stay in until we got back on our feet. Her father had recently been admitted to a personal care home due to his age. I was so grateful. It was a huge three-bedroom home with a fenced-in yard, which was awesome because it was during the summer and there was a pool. My husband at the time worked nights as a security guard, so it was just my two kids and me at night. About a week after we started living there, weird things began to happen. The TV in the bedroom where we slept would turn on on its own or the door would swing open. Oftentimes, I would hear footsteps coming up the stairs or walking in the attic. I told my husband and he said it was probably because it's an old house. Suddenly, the activity started to pick up to the point where I stood awake all night until my husband came home. My son, who was three at the time, I would sometimes catch him talking to the wall. I asked him, who are you talking to? And he would say, oh, no one, and then giggle. One night, I could hear crying, but I didn't know where it was coming from. Then, another night, I must have dozed off because the TV volume started to increase, which woke me up. Now, this one even totally creeped me the fuck out. The door to the bedroom was one of those French doors that didn't lock. I tied a belt around the handles because the doors would randomly open. Well, that night, the door started to rattle and somehow the belt got unlooped and the door swung open. I could feel a gust full of air enter. Luckily, about five minutes after that, my husband arrived home and I told him what happened. We had a barbecue one day and our friends came over. My friend asked to use the bathroom and I told her it was up the stairs on the second floor. She came back rather quickly and I was like, dang, that was fast. Then she says to me, you didn't tell me someone was living with you. My face turned pale white. She continued to say that as she approached the steps, she saw a very old woman about in her 80s, white, a white dress at the top of the stairs. She said she told the old lady, oh, I'm sorry, and went back outside. When I told her that no one else lived there, she said, well, that was a spirit then. My friend was sensitive or practiced Santeria and could see and feel things at times. She went back inside by herself, and there was this one room that my boss said to keep closed. Well, surely enough, my friend opened it because she felt energy coming from it. She comes back outside to tell us that there's an old woman in that room. She was on the bed crying because she didn't know where she was and where her son was. My friend told the spirit that it was okay, everything was going to be okay, and lit a white candle, closed the door, and left. My friend told me to just speak to her and assure her everything was all right and to continue lighting a white candle so she could find her way. I told my boss the next day and she broke down in tears. My boss told me that it was her grandmother who died in that room. Her son, who was my boss's father, lived there with her. I asked if she had a picture of her grandmother and she showed me one she had a picture frame in her office. That same day, my friend came over with her husband. My boss told me where there were picture albums because I wanted to see if that was the same spirit in the pictures. Sure enough, it was. As soon as we opened the picture album, my friend pointed and said, yes, that's her. Her husband, who also practiced Santeria, told me to go upstairs with him and his wife and say a prayer for the woman. Reluctantly, I did. He opened the door and told me that she was sitting on her bed, rocking back and forth, crying and praying, asking where her son was. He told her that her son was okay and that it was time for her to go. He lit a white candle and began to say a prayer in Spanish. My friend kept telling the old woman everything was fine, but the old woman kept crying. All of a sudden, I began crying. It was almost as if I could feel her grief. After the prayer ended, we closed the door. Now, I forgot to mention how thick the air was in that room compared to other rooms in the house because this was my first time being in there. 
Days passed and the activity continued. Lights turning on and off, the TV getting louder, hearing footsteps going up and down the stairs or approaching the room we slept in. The last day we were there, I was in the backyard gathering the last of my things and I kid you not, I looked up at the bedroom window and there she was. The old lady staring back at me, waving goodbye, crying with tears rolling down her face. I literally just froze in shock. When I came to, I waved. The lady turned around and walked away from the window. To this day, there are times when I'm asleep and dreaming and she visits me in my dreams saying, thank you, how are you? I'm getting goosebumps just writing this. That's sad that she was crying and asking where her son was. That's like freaking purgatory for her. Yeah. I mean, how do you get like trapped like that? I don't know. Do you think like telling her where her son was and being like, he's okay, he could take care of himself, so he's somewhere where people can help. I wonder if that would have helped her. Yeah, I don't know. And y'all may have said all that. Okay, the next one. Hiya, ladies. A big hello from the northwest of England. I absolutely love, love, love the pod and you too. This is my first time ever writing into a podcast. In 2011, we were all gathered at my family home with my dad. Unfortunately, we weren't there for a normal family gathering. Seven months earlier, we had found out that dad had cancer and should have only had three months with us, but he was determined to stay with us longer. It was truly heartbreaking from what I saw. My dad made his kids try and carry on as normal regardless as he was a very hardworking welder when he was well enough. Anyway, it was the middle of the night. My big brother and sister-in-law were asleep downstairs in the bedroom. Mom was asleep on the sofa. My little sis, who was four, was upstairs in bed. And me and my younger brother were sat next to my dad's hospital bed with our black cocker spaniel asleep on the floor at the end of the bed. We were just sat there, quiet, holding dad's hand, when all of a sudden we heard over the baby monitor from my little sister, hello? Me and my younger brother knew who it was straight away, and it wouldn't be long. My dad's dad, who passed when he was little, had come for him. Sadly, dad fell asleep the next morning after waking for the first time in days to say goodbye to my nan and mom and being told it was okay to go by my nan. He told us he wouldn't go without her letting him know it was okay. I still feel the ache in my heart every day, but I found peace knowing that he's back with his little sister who was taken from us in a road accident at 12. And both of my dad's, now my granddad I grew up with, is with him too. Sending loads of love and light to everyone in the fam and the Creepinati. Lots of love in D. I'm so sorry for the loss of your dad, but I'm so glad that y'all got to be there in those moments with him. It's so precious to get that last like hoorah from them where they're able to like wake up a little bit, engage before they pass. Yeah. It's hard when you know what it is, but it also makes it easier so that you kind of can plan for it in your brain because you know like, okay, they weren't up and talking before and now they are. So like, you know, it's coming, but I don't know, it just makes it that much more precious. Okay, the next one. The crime next door that shaped my childhood and saved me all at once. Howdy, ladies. I started listening to your podcast a couple of months ago and have made it all the way to episode 103. Woot. I'm loving the whoops and the woots. Love it. I mean, very Vicky Gumbelson of me. And if you watch Royal Housewives, you know what I'm talking about. Your stories in comedy make my very stressful job in law so much easier and the hour trip and rush hour traffic to downtown Dallas and then an hour ride home absolutely fly by to the point I don't want to get out of the car and go in and see my family. Totally kidding in case my husband or kids are listening. Love y'all. I've kind of been chewing on sharing my story as it happened in what used to be a very small, close-knit town, and I didn't want any family members hearing and reliving the pain of what happened. 
So I will use fictional names, but feel free to share my name. Trigger warning in advance, this is going to be a hard one. So picture it, 1996 in Weatherford, Texas. It's in the middle of the summer, and we are on the fifth day of a 100-plus degree streak, and the cicadas are singing their hearts out. Back then, it was still a small town, and my street faced the woods. My friends and I would stay up late on a party line, telling each other scary stories about the woods and daring each other to go into them the next day. My same house is still there to this day. In all, it's Fox and Jacob, Hunter Green with deep red trim glory and my handprints in the concrete that hold the fence posts that are still there too. And so are my long gone pupper's little footprints. Side note, his name was Shadow after the dog in Homeward Bound, even though he was a mutt mix of Chow, Sharpay, and Rottweiler. Yeah, he was something all right. He lived a good 21 years of life and was blind, deaf, and even dumber in the end, but always a good pupper's. But the woods are long gone and have been replaced with hoity-toity cookie-cutter houses. It was the day before my birthday, October 4th, 1996, and I made a discovery that forever changed me and somewhat skewed my view of the world and those closest to you, your own family. When we first moved to Weatherford in 1993, I was about five, and my elderly neighbor, we'll call her Miss Ivy, and I became close friends fast. When I wasn't out riding around town on my bike, rollerblading at the local skate rink, checking out a million books from the library, or scaring myself trying to catch lightning bugs in the woods across from our house, I was next door at Miss Ivy's house. She introduced me to tea cakes, Salisbury steak, and tried her hardest to get me to enjoy tea, iced or hot. Yes, I know, born and raised and lived in Texas my entire life, and I hate tea of any kind, including sweet tea, which down here means you're a heathen, and fostered my love for all things horror and fantasy. She, too, was a huge Star Trek fan and loved Captain Jean-Luc Picard as much as I do. We spent many rainy days on her couch reading Mary Higgins Clark, Dean Koontz, Clive Cussler, and any series we could get our hands on. Miss Ivy was like the grandmother I had lost a year earlier that I so desperately missed and needed in my life. As my mother worked for GM and was in Detroit most of the year, and my dad, well, he was an unmedicated manic bipolar, and when we weren't taking 3 a.m. road trips to Marfa to see the alien lights or hiding in the tornado shelter because the planes were going to fall out of the sky when the Y2K bugs were sure to hit, let's just say I'm putting it nicely by saying he was not a fun person to be around. As the years went by, Miss Ivy, of course, aged, and it got harder and harder for her to take care of herself. I would insist on going over there three to four times a day to check on her, make her tea and meals, and make sure she was tucked in bed at night. Swans was still a big thing then, so all of her food was delivered, and I could just heat it up for her and put it on one of my awesome metal meal trays. On the rare occasion my mother was home, she would cook enough for every meal each day, and I would take it over to Miss Ivy and sit with her for a while so she wouldn't be alone. I was about to turn eight when it all happened. Like I said, it was the day before my birthday. I was eager to get the day going because no matter how much I had tried to convince my mother, I just wanted to rollerblade at the skating rink with my friends. She insisted on getting a clown, which, thanks to the poltergeist, I'm still terrified of to this day, and I wanted to see if Miss Ivy could talk her out of it. I wasn't close with my mother since she was gone so often, and maybe she would actually listen to another adult who wasn't on day 12 of a manic episode. I was an extra large pizza on stilts at 7, so it took me a little bit to get up and get dressed to go over and make Miss Ivy her breakfast and tea. It was Friday, and I was out of school for fall break, and I just knew we would spend the day watching Star Trek together since she knew it was my favorite of all of our shows. I was humming the opening theme to Star Trek when I got over to her door and knocked out our secret knock as per usual, but there was no response. I tried again, just in case she was in the back of the house or in the bathroom. Nothing. I walked around to the side of the house and noticed none of her lights were on. For her, this was way weird. She was always awake at 6 a.m. and it was currently 7.15. 
So I ran to the back of the house because I knew she always left the sliding back door unlocked for me in case of emergency. It was locked too. I knew something was off. I flew home to wake up my parents, absolutely panicked and in tears. My mother told me I was being dramatic, that Miss Ivy was old and just wanted to be left alone, and my dad was babbling some nonsense about her finally wising up and hiding from the government. When I insisted and refused to let my mother go back to sleep, my mother said she'd go over and knock on the door as well. We tried and nothing. Miss Ivy didn't have a phone, and no matter how much I insisted, my mother would not let me call the police. I just knew something was wrong. She made me go home and do chores to keep me distracted and out of her hair with a promise of pizza from Pizza Hut. The stuffed crust kind had just come out the year before. OMG. Well, lunch came and went, then dinner, and then bedtime. Each time I tried to get her to answer the door or hope the back door was open, but no, nothing. I cried myself to sleep that night thinking maybe it was me and my mom was right. She was fed up with me and wanted to be left alone. I was so upset, I only ate a small stuffed crust slice, and anyone that knows a seven-year-old extra-large pizza on stilts knows that isn't normal. The next morning was my birthday. I bounced out of bed thinking, surely, even if Miss Ivy needed the day to herself, she would answer the door today. Same thing. Absolutely nothing. And the back was still locked up tight. I 100% knew something was wrong at this point because, hello, it's my birthday. She always gave me a birthday cake celebration outside of the ones with my family and friends, since she never left the house and always made the fanciest tea cakes. That and today was Swan's delivery day. So I waited for the delivery time at 10 a.m. since my party wasn't until 1. As soon as I saw the pale yellow truck coming down my street, I bolted out the front door and over to her house. The driver, Scott, smiled and waved. I told him what happened the day before, and he found it odd. He went to her front door and tried knocking as loud as he could. And then we both noticed the smell. In case you forgot from the day before, it was day five of over 100 degree weather. The smell was indescribable. But once you've smelled it, you never forget, nor is there anything that ever compares to it. Death. The metallic, sickening undertone to boot. He didn't hesitate another second and ran to my house with me to call 911. We waited, him holding me while I was sobbing because my mother was off finishing up things for the party and who the hell knows where my dad was. It only took the police about three minutes to get there and after the backstory and the smell, the officer kicked in the front door. But the officer and Scott tried to shield my eyes, but it was too late. I saw it. This is where the trigger warning comes in. Miss Ivy was in the middle of her kitchen and all I could see was what appeared to be her eye and something that looked like a big white rock. It was her exposed skull. The officer questioned all the neighbors, including us, and a neighbor two houses down remembered seeing a red Grand Prix sitting in front of her house in the wee hours of the 4th. That Friday, the neighbor was a psych triage nurse at the hospital in town when she was leaving for her shift. I told the officer I went over at about 7.15 and there wasn't a car there. The coroner determined she had been killed between midnight and 2 a.m. Friday. The killer had locked up all the doors and the windows, save for one, which he crawled his way out of and then closed it from the outside. When I saw that window later that day, I felt like such an idiot. There was still some blood smudged on it, and it had just completely flown by me in my panic. He had also turned the AC down to 50, but it was already an old unit, and it was hotter than Satan's nutsack, and the unit froze over and stopped working. It took about a month, but they found out who did it. Her youngest son. I never even knew she had children. They never even checked on her, and she never talked about them. That's when I found out about the real Miss Ivy. Miss Ivy was a retired ER pediatric nurse of 45 years and had three children, two boys and a girl in the middle. She used to be married to a police officer she met at the ER, but he was extremely abusive and actually went to prison for a time. Once he was out, he started looking for her again. In order to protect her children and herself, as her kids were now adults and living in different parts of the country, she moved from Virginia to Weatherford, Texas and changed her name. 
She cut off all contact with her children and didn't even have a phone. She remained unlisted in all of the phone books, even with her new name. The night she was killed, and this is according to her youngest son's, we'll call him Teddy's, confession, he went to her house. He never did disclose how he found her, but he said after his father was released from prison, they had started talking. Now, Teddy already hated his mother and blamed her for all the abuse he endured as a child at his father's hands. I left that part out. The father abused everybody in the family. Which, as a victim of domestic abuse, I don't understand his misguided rage. But I'm not victim-blaming anyone and cannot speak for how they dealt with their own trauma. Anywho, he said his father and him had started a new relationship during which his father apologized and said it all happened because his mother was controlling and abusive to him and it was really all her fault that he was the way he was to the kids. So Teddy's rage and hatred deepened. Then, Daddy of the Year suggested, hey, why don't we track her down and kill her? I'm assuming she didn't take you or your siblings off her life insurance policies. And, you know, those are really hefty since she was an ER nurse for 45 years. Again, he refused to disclose how he found her. But that night, he confronted her and she told him the exact opposite of everything his father had been feeding him over the past two years. And it set him off. He said he just felt like he stepped outside of his body and watched as he bashed her head on the kitchen counter. And then, when she went down to the floor, he continued to beat her with a cast iron skillet I had forgotten to put away the night before. Until he didn't recognize her face anymore. The worst part of it all, he would have only stood to inherit about 175000 split three ways between the siblings, as Miss Ivy, the angel she has always been, donated half of her policy to the ER pediatric ward at the local hospital. So all over about $58,000. I know that was heavy, and it did change how I looked at the world for a long time. But as an adult, I see the silver lining in all of this. She succeeded in getting me out of an unwanted party which was a terrifying clown her best birthday present yet i think of her every time i watch her favorite shows especially the new picard series or the newest one with sir patrick stewart or read a book by one of our four favorite authors and have tried to pass on the love she showed me a complete and total stranger not to mention really weird kid to not just my own children but those around me sorry for such a long one and for the tangents tangent is my middle name creep it real and don't get scared love christy that's amazing that you and Miss Ivy were friends. And that sounds like such a movie thing. Mm-hmm. I am not that person. I would have not befriended an old person. <laughs> I will say I loved putting puzzles together with my nanny, who was my grandmother. And she always had like sweet tea or Cokes. So I like that. Like, I don't know. Her, it just tasted different in her glassware. Yes, it did. It, because, and my grandma always had caffeine-free Coke. <laughs> Why? It was, you know, it was like a, yeah. like a golden label. Yeah. I, I don't even think they make that anymore. I don't think so either. I'm so sorry that you had to deal with that on your birthday because I'm sure you think about it every single year. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry you had to see that. Mm-hmm. Okay, last one. Sleep paralysis or nah? Good morning, ladies. Long-time listener, first-time writer. As the rest of the Creepinati do, I thank you both for this podcast and creating a safe space for crime junkies and the supernatural. I stumbled upon your podcast a couple of years ago as a suggested listen on Spotify. It was one of the Sinister Sightings episodes, and I was instantly hooked. Of course, I had to start from the beginning and catch up. Maybe I'll be called up to hear y'all add this one in too. I've been wanting to write in and tell y'all about a couple of my experiences in college for a while now and kept hearing other people say the same in their letters, so here we go. You can use my name even though I am a Dorothy through and through. Same girl, same. This went down my sophomore to junior year in 2013-2014. I'm old now. 30 what? 
My sister, we shall call her Jay, is living in Tennessee at the time. On my days off from classes, I would travel to see her. My sister lived in an apartment in downtown Johnson City, Tennessee. I was in school in our hometown that was about two hours away, so it made the trips easy when I wanted to go visit her since we had always been super close. As the evening came to an end, I helped my mom get some quilts on the couch, and I got my blow-up mattress made as we take over the living room to go to sleep. I need to do a side note here and kind of give a layout and the idea of the apartment. My sister's apartment was a small split level with, as soon as you open the door, the staircase that would take you upstairs. To the right, you had a kitchen with a small closet pantry that made a full circle with a small dining living room area, coming around with the hallway and another hallway that met in the back of the front door. Imagine from the kitchen living room, small closets in the hallway all being one big circle. I had my blow-up mattress made to where I would be able to see down the back hallway to the front door. Upstairs had a small linen closet, then off from there on the left, the master bedroom, and to the right of that, a bathroom, and down the hallway was another small room. The first part is going to be more about my mom because I'm asleep at this part. My mom said that everyone's asleep and she hears someone moving around upstairs and as she wakes up, she notices that the back hall light is on. My mom gets up to turn the light off and goes back to sleep on the couch. A couple of minutes go by and she said something wakes her up again. As her eyes adjust, she sees that the same back hallway light is back on. At this point, she calls out for my sister because she's thinking that she had come downstairs for something to drink and forgot to turn the light off. My mom gets up turns the light off, and lays back down on the couch. My mom said as she laid down, she could hear footsteps going from my sister's room down towards the back room upstairs. Again, she thought nothing of it and tried to go back to sleep. A few more minutes goes by and the light comes on for the third time. She wakes me up and as my eyes adjust, I see the light on and I hear her completely addled. She asked me if I had turned the light on and I said, no, I've been asleep. I'm going to side note again here because I know that Carrie doesn't like anyone fucking with her sleep and I'm the exact same way. You can ask my husband now. I sleep like a log with a fan on and I love sleep. I beg him to cuddle and take naps with me all the time. Okay, my mom had woken me up just enough for me to realize that the light was on and she had asked me if I had turned it on and then she told me that something kept waking her up. This is where my part of the story begins. From getting readjusted and to what I thought was back to sleep until daylight, something was in that apartment. When I rolled back over and put the cover over my shoulders, I felt an instant dread. I could feel that something else was in the living room behind me. I could feel something begin to make my back feel heavy. When I rolled over and I looked towards the dining part of the room, I could make out a dark shadow hovering a rounded shape standing in one of their dining room chairs. I then laid on my back, crossed my hands under my blanket, and began to pray. I prayed to all the gods to protect me and to keep my family and I safe from this dark presence. I repeated that same prayer over and over. And as I continued to pray, this thing began to mock my prayer in the most demonic voice you can imagine. I continued to pray. I felt a weight begin to squeeze my hands, and I was paralyzed. With every effort I had, I could not move a muscle against this force. The pressure began to crawl up my chest as if something was laying on top of me, not wanting me to pray to gods for protection and safety from evil. As the night went on into early morning, the dark pressure was crawling up my face and covered my mouth and nose. I still prayed as I couldn't breathe as this evil still mocked my prayer. 
As pressure built up in my throat, my hands and my body still being crushed under the dark presence, daylight broke into the room, and within the same second, the darkness vanished. The pressure was lifted, and my body was no longer paralyzed. I woke my mom up and asked her if she was okay, and she said she couldn't sleep. She said the last time she laid down, she couldn't see anything, but she felt uneasiness and darkness, but prayed and left it to God to protect our family. I instantly messaged the chaplain of the university I was attending to let him know of the events of that night, telling him I was worried something was trying to harm my family. He messaged me back, quickly letting me know something may not be happy with my mom and I bringing happiness and love into the home. He said nothing could attach to us, but more so aggravate us for bringing good into the home. My mom and I went upstairs to let my sister know what happened the night before. My sister was concerned and knew I was terrified. She told my mom and I that the back hall eight doesn't work. In disbelief, I had her come downstairs and turn the light on. When she flipped the light switch, the light flickered but did not turn on. Needless to say, I did not sleep another night at this apartment, but would still visit during the day. A couple of weeks later, my sister came home from work and was cooking some ground beef for Hamburger Helper. My sister sat down on the couch and started catching up on her phone. The next thing she remembers is her dog pulling on her shirt and pawing at her to wake up to the apartment filled with smoke. She went to the kitchen to find the burner turned to high and all the ground beef burned. My sister moved out of that apartment not long after that, but her and I are left with the forever memory of that darkness. I hope the story makes sense and may be relatable for someone else with a similar experience. I have had other experiences before and after this one, and I'll write in to share more. Thank you so much for reading, and thank you for being so real with your listeners. I feel like I'm hanging out with y'all every time I listen. Keep on creeping on. Much love and good energies. Allison J. from Kentucky. That doesn't sound like a house I'd be visiting ever again. No. No, no, no. And then for the light to not even work, uh uh-uh. Right. Now, that's just like, everything could be like, oh, okay, okay, okay. But then, yeah, the light didn't work, and you and your mom both saw it on. Yeah, that's a no for me. What is it that Randy used to say on American Idol? It's a no for me, dog. Yeah. Y'all got some damn stories, but y'all keep them coming. Yes. Send them in to us at aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.